Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, the tirade-filled movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. And I'm William Henry Johnson III. Well, that's super formal. You know, we're, we're that's a good thing because we're making a formal list today where we are putting our mm. reputations on the line to say it, to talk about our best of 2022 in parentheses so far for we are at the halfway point of the year. This show should probably drop on July 1st. So we have finished six months of 2022. We feel like there's enough films out there that we can kind of build ourselves a a top five list with some honorable mentions uh, obviously movies are always or i'm sorry i should say years are always pretty backloaded where obviously the cream of the crop is probably still coming but uh there, there is no doubt uh that there are some quality films from the first half of the year that uh we hope are still on our list at the end of the year so um this format for the show will be a little different we're just going to kind of go through our best of lists uh going from five to one um not really a, a five minutes each situation just more of a mm. you know shine our praises on some places and uh, give you guys something to chew on and maybe hopefully some recommendations that you look up uh because most of these are starting to hit vod or um beyond their streaming services so yeah hopefully we'll give you guys some yeah, good we... ones to keep an eye on and as you knew last week, we we just talked for about seventeen hours on Lightyear, so we're trying to keep it short oh. for you guys this time. A nice, yeah. nice yeah. drive to work for you. You can be like, "Oh, I haven't seen that, or have seen that." Some of these, I guarantee you, you have seen based on their box office. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, but uh, all right. Do you want to go first with your number five? I, I can go first. Um, my first one for me is uh, is probably one of those you haven't heard of. It's a little tiny indie. Um, it's only like eighty one minutes long, but uh, it's called Marvelous and the Black Hole. And uh, it's available for um, paid rental on Amazon, Google Play, uh, Apple TV, where it's like a four buck VOD rental. And uh, it's um, from an Asian American director. And the synopsis is kind of simple, where it's kind of a uh, a teenage delinquent teen girl kind of teams up with a uh, a surly kind of children's party musician or party uh, party magician to kind of navigate her way across her kind of dysfunctional family uh, situation and kind of some inner demons. And uh, the the young lady, uh, her name is Sammy. It's played by Maya Check. She's fantastic. Uh, she liked my review on Twitter. I, I could be all stoked about that. Um, but the oh. real gem of the movie is um, is real Perlman from Cheers fame and Matilda fame. Oh, she is nice. the, she is the, uh, she is the magician. She is Margot. And um, it's kind of, um, so the girl is, uh, is dealing with the death of her mother uh, at a young age, obviously. So dad started, it's been a, been a year or two uh, big sisters, you know, on her way out to school. She's still in high school. Dad's starting to see somebody else. And she's just, she's gone from being a real, you know, just daddy's girl and a great kid to just going to some dark places. She does her own ink tattoos in the school bathroom, ditches school, a horrible student. She just really has fallen down a rabbit hole of uh, depression and, and a lot of blame and a lot of wonder. And, and she's, her dad's kind of fed up and says, all right, fine. You're going to take some community college classes, uh, this summer. Cause I need you occupied where you're not causing trouble. Uh, so in trying to skip out of a class at community college, she meets and, uh, a, a children's musician putting on a show and kind of gets, uh, kind of strung armed into being her little, uh, sidekick or kind of magician's assistant just to kind of get her out of the trouble she was in real permits kind of giving her a bit of a help and the two hit it off and become you know obviously cross-generational friends and the movie does a really good job as a dramedy to kind of present just um some healing and then a little bit of magic along the way obviously where real permit kind of has like this whole act 
and kind of the theme of the movie is that the girl kind of gets inspired enough while being kind of, you know, mad and depressed. Like maybe I should be a magician too. And, and Rhea's like, okay, sure. But what's your act, you know? And the idea is to Rhea and her musician or her magician thing is that uh, the act has to kind of be about you. Like, obviously you're putting on tricks to show off people, but if it doesn't have a story woven in with it, that kind of reflects you, or at least the persona you're presenting, you really don't have much of an act. You just have a bunch of tricks that have little setups and this and that. And she does the the girl Sammy does all of this uh, unbeknownst to her dad. So it's this kind of secret little friend and friendship, but it really is a, a nice um, healing movie. One of the more uplifting uh, coming of age stories I've seen in a long time. Uh, loved it to pieces. Real permanent is an absolute gem, uh, and it's adorable. And um, the movie had me ball my eyes out at the end, you know, because when you realize one. Um, the corrective places that Sammy can go and then also kind of the origins of where Rio comes from, why, why she's here and why she does her act. Uh, there's just more going to it than just cool kid meets the, it's not like Marty and doc Brown, you know what I mean? Like it, it's just, it goes more emotional places than just, Hey, I'm here to learn some magic and have some fun. So marvelous. And the black hole is my number five so far of the year. Wow. All right. Um, yeah, so for me, I'm going off of my letterboxed ratings. So Same. technically I had folks find us there, right? Yeah, I had three films tied for four stars for 2022, and I'll only go into one of them. Um, one of them I'm sure Don might be talking about. I'm not sure if it's on his list or not, but Top Gun Maverick is tied for fifth. It is it um, is number four right after this. So you hop okay, into perfect. that so let's, No, 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 I'll let you talk about that. Uh, the other two that were okay. tied were Jackass Forever. And another go. movie that just hit Netflix, this is the one I'll talk about. Another one tied for fifth here is Hustle with Adam Sandler. Um, you know, I, I think we need to get off the train of, you know, you know, when Adam Sandler would do like a PTA film or something like a Spanglish or something, we would be like, oh, wow, he can actually act. Now that we're post Uncut Gems, where he should have been nominated for and won an Oscar, in my opinion. Uh, it's time to just put it to bed. He's a good actor. He's a good actor. I don't care if he makes really crappy comedy sometimes. He's a good actor. And Hustle is another one of these movies like Uncut Gems that is run by him. You know, it is, um, you know, he is the the steam for that engine of that movie. Uh, for those who don't know, I won't go into too many details, but Hustle is about a kind of a lifelong scout for the Philadelphia 76ers in the NBA who really wants to be a coach, a lot of ownership issues. There's kind of a nice little cameo by uh, Robert Duvall, which is always welcome. Um, And uh, basically he takes, he doesn't get the opportunity that he really wants. He's back to scouting. He doesn't get the coaching job he wants, but he has a feeling about this kid that he finds on a random park in Spain and uh, Spain, right? Yeah. And, um, he basically bets his whole life on this kid making it to the NBA. It's got a lot of, I would say it's a little short of inspirational. It doesn't quite have the same like Rocky motivation where you're just like, Oh my God, I want to run up the stairs and get in shape, you know, after Rocky, but it's a good, solid fun. albeit a little bit predictable, but I don't care about that. I wanted to watch it about basketball. It's about the passion of the game and an underdog story. And it's led once again by Adam Sandler, who is kind of this, uh, uh, former college basketball player who made a major mistake. Um, but was still able to recover from that mistake and 
become a scout, a successful scout slash coach. Um, but obviously his life is not what it was projected to be. And so it's a nice little character study on his part. Him and Queen Latifah are actually married in the movie. And that you would think Adam Sandler right. and Queen Latifah, uh, <laughs> that might not be the first pairing you think of, but they're actually a great on-screen couple. Um, uh, the actor they get to play the main Spanish kid. I don't know his name, but he's very good. And then the film kind of like the old, uh, NBA movies of the late nineties and, uh, early two thousands, kind of like Eddie and like Mike and things like that. It is packed to the gills with NBA stars, both fictional That's awesome. playing, playing their real characters or playing fictional versions like Kenny Smith, Kenny, the jet Smith from TNT, uh, doesn't exist in this universe. He actually plays an agent. And he's actually really good. Uh, and there's a number of NBA players who play fictional characters, but there's also a lot of appearances by old and new, including Dr. J. And it's just a really fun basketball movie. It's produced by LeBron James, so it kind of has some insider info to it. Uh, so that would be my, cool. my pick for number five is Hustle. Go watch it on Netflix. Nice. I admit I'm one of those people who gives up on it. I, I don't ban a lot. Of, I don't want to say ban, but I mean, I... I avoid Adam Sandler like the plague, but I need to respect him as a good actor and give that a try. So I've yet to you see should, him. It's, he's really, it. he's actually really good in it. Like I, 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 I know I just, I know I just said we should stop being surprised because after uncut gems, but yeah, when I, I still have to preface when I tell people he's really good, I still have to go, believe it or not, he's really good. Like I, I want to get past I, that I because will, he's yeah. a good actor. I, so. I'll need it because I will always be surprised when he's good. Cause I, yeah, even even with the uncut gem stuff, I don't think he's good. But uh, no, uh, no, we'll kind of segue where where one of his number five <laughs> ties were with one my number four, where uh, Top Gun Maverick. Uh, I can't deny how good the movie is as a as a legacy mm-hmm. sequel, as a just a good old you know, just just a very good action movie, and uh, as a drama to extend where that character went to, from a movie that is an absolute favorite of mine. So I, mm-hmm. um, I I yeah I can't deny its power as a big screen experience and one of the the most entertaining times I'll have in a theater uh, all the time, any day or year. I think I'm going to try to take the wife to see this movie uh, tomorrow after mm. this recording. I'll let you know how it turns out. We'll see. Uh, Cause I'm like, honey, cool. we got to see that on the big screen. She's like, whatever. And cause she'll fall asleep. <laughs> um, but, but we'll do what I can, but now, no, um, to see Tom um, uh, at the same time, play his age yet, push away his age to kind of still have a character. Uh, obviously his famous character still live on that edge to still be the best of what he can be and to um, bring in other characters and other pieces and, and elevate all the different parts of what um, that movie represented because I, we just had a great episode on it. We had a great episode afterwards about dad movies and how the original, we don't think is a dad movie. And even mm-hmm. this movie, while while having some dad movie ingredients, I still don't think it's a dad movie either. It's just a damn good action movie. And um, yep. Miles Teller's all right. Um, I'm a huge Glenn Powell fan. And this is the reason why you go see a movie in the big screen because the, the practical effects all over this film are, are just they don't make movies like this anymore. And, and, and it was just a weird thing to say for a legacy sequel where. Oh look, they're making movies like this. But uh, this true, this one, this one truly does feel big, awesome, and special. Uh, and yeah, that's my number four. Nice, nice, well done. Uh, my number four may be controversial to some people, but uh, I'm going to go with, and, and I think I, and you can hear our episode on it for more details. So I won't go too deep into it. But my number four is everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, I gave it four and a half stars. 
And I like the movie. I, I like it very much. It's got Michelle Yeoh. It's got a great cast. Um, great direction. It's it's original and well thought out and and fun. My only thing was the reason why I don't put it as like number one with a lot of other people is because I'm not much of a quirky person. I'm not into quirkiness. Fair, fair, fair so, criticism. Yep. Yep. So so the film is good despite that, but there's a lot of stuff in it where I kind of go like like. I, I don't know. I, I don't just do say well it. Like it's the butt plugs. It's the butt. No, plugs. no, no. That was funny. I love that. I, I kind of had a feeling <laughs> that right. was going to happen when you see those trophies on, um, on uh, Jamie Lee Curtis desk. I was like, they're going to find a way to use that. Aren't they? Um, but no, <laughs> I like, like certain things that have quirkiness. Like I'm not a Tim Burton guy. I'm not a Terry Gilliam guy. Um, yeah. You know, stuff that's like overtly quirky. So that's my only criticism of the film. And I go into that in our review. Uh, but it is it is still ambitious and wonderful and wonderfully acted and very imaginative and fun and definitely a different take on the multiverse, which is becoming um, actually three of the films on my list technically deal with the multiverse. So, um, you know, it's it's becoming a common theme now and they find a very refreshing yeah. way to. Do it. So I, I, I'm going to give that as number four. It is indeed the fan of the moment, and I, I'm ready for that moment to end. Uh, <laughs> just, there's been too many at this point now. So, um, my gotcha. number three, I just watched it this past week. Um, I've only written three. Well, I haven't written one of these because I've just ran out of time. But I've only ranked three 2022 movies with five stars. This is the third, third of three. Um, it's a uh, good luck to you, Leo Grande, playing right now on Hulu. Mm. Just came out this past weekend here. Um, Emma Thompson, my gosh, she just the the easy adjectives to put here that everyone's using because they're just the low hanging fruit of adjectives that are critics drop phrases, but brave and soul bearing and all the things you hear a thousand fucking times. But uh, no, <laughs> for me, she's just she just um. She's a special talent because she can write herself in a convincing way where when you meet Emma Thompson or you see her in interviews, like she is on point. She is poised. She knows what she's doing. She's very smart. She's extremely creative. She's talented. But for her to turn on the character of having the dither and the blather of being a very nervous person or a very neurotic person or for her to play a personality um, type she just does that 110%. No matter the character she plays, if it's Nanny McPhee, if it's a Harry Potter character, if it's a, a romantic lead, a romantic villain, it doesn't matter. She goes for it. And she is like Corella, for example, a year ago. Like, mm. she, there, there's never a misstep in characterization choices that she makes from her body language to her line deliveries to just her screen presence when she's not even talking. So to put her in a small setting movie of just her and another person um, sharing a hotel room because this is a male escort uh, and she is in her 60s as a widower being like, you know what? I've never had an orgasm. I've never had great sex. I'm going to pay for it because I want to know what that's like. And that normally mm -hmm. is a deal breaker for a whole lot of prudes in the world that are probably looking <laughs> at that movie and go, oh, no, how could you ever? Emma, how could you ever? Or I can't believe they're mm -hmm. going to have nudity and R-rated this and R-rated that. And you know what? Prudes? <laughs> yep. Go watch something else. But for the rest mm -hmm. of us who understand that coming with age um, has issues of confidence and issues of image and body image and self-image, um, for Emma Thompson to to go to go there. 
uh, with her stature and with her mm-hmm. talent and to sh- share a movie that, that is this uh, enchanting. You would never most enchanting sex worker movie since Pretty Woman. If we're going to be the, the critic <laughs> tropes person to say, um, sure. I'm not one of those people that does that. But here we go. But um, um, across from her, Darren McCormack is, is, is indeed absolutely charming as a uh, as a uh, sex worker and escort who at the same time she asks all the wrong questions of nervousness and nerves and what if and what this he will he will without a beat uh go toe-to-toe with emma thompson and ask all the right questions and it's a fantastic dynamic uh easy movie at an hour and a half where yeah go find it on hulu if you like emma thompson you will respect her a thousand times more after this movie so she wrote the movie she wrote it. I'm trying to no. Uh, um, a young stand-up comedian wrote it, and a f- mm. second-time feature female director directed it. She kind of put herself in their hands. She had no. Normally, you're right. She's a Academy Award-winning screenwriter, but uh, she she just came in to act this one. Yeah, she she is one of those um, one of two actresses I think of that found a way to get a second life after they were married to someone that was equally or more famous than them and actually superseded True. their career in terms of accolades. The, the other one's Nicole Kidman. Now, obviously Emma Thompson yeah, had a agreed. very high profile marriage to Kenneth Branagh, but I mean, mm-hmm. when you, I mean, I know Kenneth Branagh just won an Oscar, but you know, I mean, Emma's got two of them writing, acting. She's, yeah. you know, she's all over the place. She's in big budget movies. She's in Harry Potter. She's in Cruella, but there's, she's also doing small indie films, writing her own things like last Christmas. You know, so she's a right. powerhouse. She's really great. Um, and then Nicole Kidman's the other one who obviously was married to Tom Cruise That's right. and had a whole new birth of a career after that. But yeah, I, I'm really excited to see that one. Yeah, yeah I, give it a shot. I, I'm excited to see that one. Um, all right. Well, you don't strike me as a prude, so it's going to work. I am not a prude at all. Um, no. Okay. So uh, to quote uh, Dennis Hopper and or Jay of Jay and Silent Bob, I'll fuck anything that moves. Anyways, um, <laughs> Dr. <Great> Strange <laughs> and the Multiverse of Madness is my number three. Uh, Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is my number three. I am the Marvel shill, and that's fine. However, uh, this one it hits different for me for a multitude of reasons. Um, uh, even though the first 20 minutes, I think, is a little clunky. Um, and um, I think that a lot of Marvel properties lately have been over-reliant on uh, CGI, uh, and there are definitely moments in this film where it's kind of like a little CGI overload, even for me. Um, what really gets me on this movie is that it is one of my all-time favorite directors coming back after almost a decade and making a film that is purely him. In this case, I'm talking about Sam Raimi. Um, you know, a lot of people out there have been criticizing Marvel by saying that it saps the creativity of the directors, which I find false for the most part. Um, Sure. There are moments where there's um, some studio dictated storytelling dictates that they have to follow and maybe don't get to do exactly what they want to do. But I think plenty of MCU directors have a distinctive style that they've been able to show such as the Russo brothers uh, and Taika Waititi and even Kenneth Branagh and the original Thor and many others. But this is definitely, if if Marvel is holding some of these directors back in some way, uh, this was Marvel saying, just be you, Sam Raimi. You gave us three mega-huge Spider-Man movies in the past. Go make your movie. And Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, even though it does have some storytelling problems, is a fantastic Sam Raimi movie. And the fact that it's Sam Raimi in the Marvel sandbox again 
fills me with delight. Very few movies this year I have turned to people in the audience. In one case, it was somebody I know. And in another case, it was somebody I don't know. I was like, this movie fucking rules. Uh, because by the end of that movie, you get a zombie Doctor Strange who is floating on a cape of dead demon souls that have voices that go, hee, 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 hee. I could not be happier. So Doctor Strange, Monster vs. Madness is my number three. All right. I, we have had a full show where I disagree with that, but that's okay. Sure. Um, I get it. No, no as, as a Remy got as a, as a Remy mark for you, uh, that uh, no surprise that that's your wheelhouse. Um, yeah. Speaking of wheelhouses that are, that are mine or not mine or ones that are normally my thing or not my thing. I'm not a Robert Eggers guy. Like I'm not a, Ooh, not a horror guy. Yeah. So the, the, the witch is not something I, I haven't seen. Um, I tried the lighthouse out. I was bored to pieces where like mm-hmm. it, strange as it is as a non horror guy, I don't think that movie was fucked up enough to have me go. Whoa. <laughs> um, like, are we just going <laughs> to masturbate over, over mermaids? Uh, that's it. That's all we're going to do. And then we yell at each other for two hours. I'm not Who enough. Does but I know. Right. Uh, but here comes Robert Eggers with the Northman and holy shit. Was that a, a, a proper escalation of what, his um uh promise and talent could do if you give him something deeper richer and more to do and uh i was i my expectations were low uh because i i just don't know the guy that much um i mm-hmm. uh, but man i get into that movie and i i was taken in and soaked in you know the 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 aesthetic of the movie is is uh, as raw as you can get, shot in Iceland all over the place, and, and it looks like oh. a zillion. Well, no, it looks like four dollars, but at the same time, as sharp as can be, because you don't you don't feel like you don't feel like there's movie making scenes here. You you feel like, oh my gosh, are we are we? How crude did they have to bring everything down to make it look this good? And mm. story wise, it's a simple revenge tale of uh, very. I think this is meant to kind of be what a, a Hamlet you know, a Hamlet origin source that, you know, pre, you know, predating Shakespeare where you have, um, uh, a assassinated King and the son of that King who's been deposed by the uncle has to, you know, tries to come back and right those wrongs years later after being a, a slave and a warrior and, you know, reascend to his place. But for as, for as dark and brooding as this movie is, it still has its mythic character where, you know, the ambiance just soaks you in. Yeah. Obviously it's not the most romantic thing. I'm more, you know, I'm still the kind of person who would rather watch a swords and sandal thing with a lot of brass and flair, like gladiator or even the 13th warrior or something like that, where normally I didn't, I, I don't mind a little more, a little more cheese with my ham, so to speak. Um, but this movie being just as, you know, sharp and as, as prickly and as balls to the wall as it is, uh, it, it, I could not help but be impressed. And it just uh, handsomely made, uh, handsomely made to look brutal. And uh, I know that's the word that most people have used on the Northman, but uh, it really is just a uh, ultra violent, ultra crazy movie that just, it, that still at the same time finds a way to make it, legendary and mythic enough that it's not just a a slasher fest of of game of you know of violence it it, it has some mm-hmm. it has some i don't know it just has a little bit of legend mixed in enough you know to kind of get you going and get you in so the northman uh, i think it's available now on peacock for those that have made it to streaming so now it's interesting because you know a lot of people are like anti-studio you know but I think yeah. sometimes that would be an example of a studio maybe steering the directors 
tendencies to a more acceptable level because this was, yeah. this was a bigger studio that this wasn't a 24 right this was like no this is fo- this, this is was, focus features okay. which is a okay, branch so universal little, so yeah yeah bigger than a 24 so mm-hmm. right so i think this is more of like yeah you can still be eggers but let's yeah. try to mainstream this a little bit i have no problem with that like i don't think it's an artistic thing now that's funny because you said it's so you like it so much because it seems like he doesn't like it as much because he didn't get to do what he really wanted to do but i'm hearing that feedback where like eggers is like well it's not my best i'm like dude man it doesn't have to be you you did great you know no exactly so i think it's just one of those things where you know sometimes studio interference is okay if it's going to get you a yeah more you know streamlined picture now i'm saying all this i've not seen it so <laughs> so i've got that's one of my big yeah no no so no um it uh no i think i think the a24 mo- version of this movie is unfortunately quieter duller and longer so yeah i mean mm-hmm. this movie's playing long enough but i mean no getting a little more blood in the body here and a little bit more color into the picture is a that a studio would do to be like, Hey, what if we did this and then did this? Uh, it, I think it does help for sure. So oh, yeah, good argument there for sure. The I, yeah, please I'll do put on the list. Was, was that your number two? That was my number two. What do you got? Okay, cool. I'm I on number two. do go first. I, so you should be on two. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to talk about it anymore. We've done enough talking about it. Number two is light year. Go see it. I love it. That's it. <laughs> yeah no i right there with you um on my list it's number 10 uh where i can't argue it's a four-star movie uh adventurous amazing and fun and don't believe the haters go see it it's it's a blast and you know what find your eight-year-old core self and just have fun in that world for a while it's all you got to do with that one yeah we're uh, speaking my number one specifically uh, here. <laughs> extremely specifically um, my number one, then, to round out the list is a movie you've already mentioned and put on your list. Is It's Everything Everywhere All at Once. And uh, mm. same thing. We've had a, a real huge, large, deep show on that with Katie Glidewell. And uh, um, I know on that show, I spoke a ton about the, and that's kind of the my wheelhouse, is um, the family dynamics. You know, as much as there's all this quirk going on, as much as there are all these battles and fights and, and glamour and ideas floating around in this movie, it, it no matter how weird it gets, no matter how wild it gets, no matter how violent or, or, or excessive it gets, it still all boils down to family. And I really dig that about this movie because Michelle Yeoh comes out as this um, as this mother character who is absolutely imperfect. Uh, it's, it's a screw up. It's the worst. We learn is the worst version of herself across this multiverse of all the versions of her. And mm-hmm. can you fix that? And can she do right by her daughter and by her husband by before you get to the end of this movie and go through the journey that you do with all the quirks and weird stuff in between and for the movie to be able to still be an, an exciting fest of you know of ideas thrown out there and 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 possibilities being explored at the end of the day it's still doing right by family and i and i can dig that it's got a big old heart to it as much as that heart is covered with needles and tattoos and glitter and fanny packs and who knows what so uh yeah um that movie is completely worth your time it's the best movie i've seen this year by a country mile um it's available on vod go find it for sure it's number one for me yeah no it's great i mean it's nothing compared to my number one which is pins and needles because i forget what your number one is Uh, morbius morbius you know yeah yeah it's not morbius (laughs) it's not morbius guys calm down 
Um, no, my number one is from acclaimed yet somehow never nominated for an Oscar director in his seventies. We were having a renaissance right now of directors directing amazing stuff in their seventies, like Steven Spielberg. And now in this case, David Cronenberg with Mm. crimes of the future. Um, I am, I would say I was an above average Cronenberg guy. I mean, I admit I was missing a lot of his early filmography, but I was pretty caught up with a lot of, I mean, I'd, I'd seen all the big hits. I'd seen some deep cuts. I still was missing like 10 films though. Cause he's made a lot of films. He's almost made 30 films. So yeah, more I would, than I realized. I still, yeah. Yeah. I was still missing like 10 or 11 films. And I, I, I did a good job of cleaning those up. Uh, but a lot of complaints from Cronenberg fans who have, are probably bigger Cronenberg fans than me, even though I love the guy is that this one feels kind of like a greatest hits. The, the, the film being crimes mm. of the future. Um, okay. but like, like we talked about in Lightyear, our Lightyear episode, where I, I don't look at it as a career work. I don't. I look at every film individually as one story. Yeah. Uh, you know. So, watching Crimes of the Future um, as is, not looking at what Cronenberg's made in the past, what he's going to make in the future, what he's done in the past. I found this to be a compelling film that I just, when I got out, I immediately was like, I need to go see this again immediately. I did not course but i wanted to and i wanted more like i didn't care how long it was it could have been six hours long i wanted more of that universe it's completely fleshed out it's completely david cronenberg i mean one thing i've been harping on especially with dr strange is yeah if you can give me a cronenberg movie or you give me a sam raimi movie i'm gonna eat it up and this is to me the best film of the year so far um give you a a little (laughs) cronenbergian um synopsis here um essentially humanity it's it's post-apocalyptic we don't know what caused it but humanity is now at the point where um surgery is the new sex um people Mm, are people are surgery is the new it's everything you can do surgery on your desktop you can do surgery in a boutique, just like you would get your nails done. But there's also people doing more illicit surgeries in back alleys and in special art exhibits. And there, there's a whole industry of the new sex, which is basically body, you know, just destroying your body in beautiful ways. Um, and it follows Viggo Mortensen and Leia Sado. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. They are a... Uh, a they're they're not a couple exactly, but they're, they are uh, a duo, an artistic duo that does performance art using surgery. Um, they'll either do surgery on themselves or um, surgery on other people. It's kind of a whole underground okay. world of art exhibition with body modification. Anyways, mm. uh, I mean, it's, it's hard, it's hard to explain because Society has gotten to the point now where there are certain people who grow extra organs. So they put Viggo Mortensen as one of these people. So he puts that into his show that he kind of dissects and tattoos his own organs that he takes out that he's growing. Anyways, long story short, um, there is a man. <laughs> uh, there's a man who is asking these performers to do an autopsy of his recently murdered eight-year-old son and it causes quite the controversy oh in the world and it's uh it's you know 
there's a lot of exaggeration. You know, people at Cannes were apparently walking out or vomiting. It's not that bad. Um, Is it, is, is it have weird body shit? Like in a lot of Cronenberg films, like the fly and, you know, stuff like that, of course, you know, scanners, all this stuff, it has weird shit in it, but it never feels uh, as a future guest of the show. Ben Robertson was putting it. It's less provocative. It's, it's, it's less like, uh, I think he said it was more provocative than like, um, trying to gross you out. And that's kind of always been Cronenberg's deal is it's always been about how the grotesqueness of the body or the machine or whatever is infecting them, how it's affecting the character, not just a a nice makeup appliance. So this movie is not grotesque for grotesque sake. It's, part of the story it's just a very uniquely cronenbergian story in which people grow organs or put ears all over their bodies and perform surgery on themselves for sexual pleasure <laughs> so okay. i don't know if i've sold anybody on this one but crimes wow. of the future okay if you didn't sell it a future episode will because we'll have the robertsons yes. on here soon to talk about that so yeah, yeah. so Stay crimes tuned, of the future yeah, Crimes of the Future is my one five-star film so far of the year. Everything else I gave you was four and a half or four today for me. Okay. Um, any honorable mentions just uh, outside the top five? Um, looking through stuff, I mean, I two of them I kind of already said, Top Gun and uh, Jackass Forever are were tied for my fifth spot. Um, I would go with, I mean... There's a couple of things here I have at three and a half stars. Uh, the Batman obviously is, is is a very visual film. It has some storytelling issues and some character issues, but overall a very enjoyable mm-hmm. film, which is totally fine. It doesn't have to be the greatest thing ever made. It's three and a half stars for me. Um, Turning yeah. Red, I have at three and a half stars. And I may be one of the rare ones out there, but I gave um, the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre which in the tradition of the legacy sequels a la Halloween with Jamie Lee Curtis, which erases like eight films or something, this is a direct sequel to the original film. Um, To me, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the first film and part two are by Toby Hooper, perfect films. So it's a tall order. Like I said, I gave it three and a half stars, but everyone freaking out about how terrible it is, is just not relaxing and enjoying the fact that you have a man with a chainsaw literally going into tour buses. And I mean, it has, it probably has the gnarliest horror scene I've seen in a while where Leatherface goes into this bus and just slaughters people for like 12 minutes. It is bonkers insane. Uh, And no, so I I enjoyed it. It it was fun. I I mean, like I said, I, I, I'm not expecting it to be the original. So just watch it for what it is. It's not that deep. It's just a guy with the chainsaw. <laughs> uh, three and a half stars. So honorable mention for that. Okay. Okay. Uh, on my list would be uh, I, I, number six was B- the Batman as well. I, I was a little higher than Will on it, but uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, solid, solid first start. Let's see what Matt Reeves can do next. Uh, I already mentioned Lightyear in the 10 spot. Uh, number seven, I put Turning Red. I really enjoyed the Pixar's work there. Uh, the, I think it's a little better than Lightyear in terms of uh, bigger themes and bigger ideas, but at the same time, no slouch in any kind of place. Um, then I got mm-hmm. two little movies in the eight, nine spots that um, I guarantee no one's heard of. Uh, there's a movie called Foxhole um, about um, 
it it takes the same troop of five actors and shows them in three different wars: World War, uh, Civil War, World War One, and then uh, War in Iraq. Uh, and uh, it tells kind of the they're all kind of the they tell different dynamics of war as the same kind of characters but obviously in the three different time periods sometimes they'll play different roles but uh the themes end up kind of being the same and it's just an interesting kind of triptych way of doing a, a story a war movie and i was uh, super impressed by just the uniqueness of it it's called foxhole and then um i got a sappy little one that i enjoyed called uh the time capsule um with um oh gosh what's her name uh Brianna, I'm going to get her last name wrong from, um, oh, Brianna Hildebrand from the Deadpool movies. Uh, what's her name? Um, mm. Negasonic Teen Warrior, Teen Warhead or whatever. Her oh, name is. yeah, um, I know you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she plays a, uh, she plays a woman who goes, away, kind of a light science fiction movie. Uh, she plays a woman who goes away for 20 years um, on a space colony mission that ends up not working. They turn around and come home. So she comes back to Earth still 19 years old, like she left. Um, mm-hmm. Her boyfriend at the time uh, has, and he's more the main character movie than her, even though the posters all have her because she's just a bigger star. Um, her her first love and and is a uh, governor gu- gubernatorial candidate where he's you know 38, uh, and you know and he he's just stunned by the fact of seeing her again where she hasn't aged a day he's aged 20 years you know they're they're in different places in different lives but he's still kind of that or she is still kind of that girl who got away you know and that idea of like um you know could it work or could it could they be together again how can they figure this age gap out and uh light little sci-fi light little romance i i, I dug it but uh that's kind of my sappy stuff that i like but uh I, I, yeah i, I, I um Go ahead. I put Foxhole on my watch list. What was this one called with Brianna Hildebrand? This is called the Time Capsule. Sappy for sure, um, ah. but uh, but I really appreciated the uh, the maturity of which they did the age gap, where it's not a the temptations there. I think to like be a male dream fulfillment, like well, what would it be like to bang your nineteen year old, you know, first high school love again, and you're forty, whatever. But uh, it it does it in a in a in a nice way. I'm trying to think of a good comp uh, where it's just light. Light science fiction romance, but not over the head with it either of it. Um, I don't know. That nice came out movie. this year. Yeah, that came out um, this I year. reviewed it. I reviewed it in April. Um, I it may it may have come out like in festival runs last year, or it had COVID delays, but it finally hit theaters and VOD this past April. I want to say because I was looking at the yeah. letterbox for that actress because I couldn't remember her name, and I found it, Brianna Hildebrand, and yeah, like. This is like the last one, like because you guys oh, know yeah. how Letterbox very works. little like, scene. This is yeah. l- the last one on the list, and it looks like a VHS cover from like 1998. And I was like, it, I it what does this look one is. bad. It, yeah, it's bad. The look of it all. It's it's kind of like a a small studio and obviously not big effects or anything that's going to go that sure. far because they just don't have the budget for it. But nice, sure. yeah, nice romantic story, Mitch, old and young, you know, and not bad. Nice. Well, I got that on my watch list for sure. Foxhole, I'm definitely going to check out those soon for sure. Yeah, Foxhole's pretty cool. Foxhole's pretty cool. I like anthology stories. Well, um, but uh, no, I, I can't wait to see how many of these um, that we say now make it to the top 10 at the end of the year. Yeah, we shall see. We shall see. Um, you want to wrap this puppy up? We good? Yes, sir. Okay. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fit and on Facebook at Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast. Also, find us both on Letterboxd. 
Thank you so much for your captive audience and social media participation. Cinephile Hissy Fit is a 25YL media podcast brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes, Banana Meter, and are charter members of the new Independent Film Critics of America group. If you enjoyed this show, Ruminations Radio Network has more where that came from with wonderful programs and interesting hosts. Our show and others are available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite.